your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. And we're going to start in, in Acts chapter 21, but then we're going to come right back to Acts chapter 6. What we're going to do today, we're going to look at four passages of Scripture real quickly in the book of Acts. And last week we started a new series that we simply entitled, Seriously? Seriously? You know, it's kind of like God says to you, hey, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. A lot of us, our first response is, seriously? Me? Are you kidding? Are you serious? Me? And God says, yeah, you. I have learned that when God starts a conversation like that, it's a conversation that lasts a lifetime. Because God just keeps growing you and leading you into more purpose as time goes by. And I want to get into talking about that a little bit more today. Somebody says, well, what is purpose? When you talk about purpose, God has a plan for my life. He has a purpose. What is purpose? The dictionary says that purpose is the reason something exists. It also says that purpose is an intended or desired result. So I think the more important question is today, why do I exist? Why am I here. And what is my intended result? What is it that God wants to accomplish in me? Last week we started this series and I asked and answered three common questions that people ask about purpose. Today, as I told you last week, we want to go in a little different direction because the next few weeks we're going to be looking at different individuals in the Bible and how God worked his purposes in their lives and what we can learn from that. Today we're going to look at the life of an individual whose name was Philip. His name was Philip. He was in the New Testament, in the book of Acts specifically. And there are four scenes in his life. And really, Philip is an amazing guy. And as you walk through this with me today, you're going to begin to see it. Philip was an amazing guy because he started with very humble beginnings, but he ended up with a title on his name that nobody else in Scripture had. Now, there were others who were functioning under that same mantle and authority as him. But he's the only one mentioned in Scripture. Let's be, get started in Acts chapter 21. I want to read one verse here. We're going to start in Acts 21, then we're going to go to Acts 6, and eventually at the end of the message we'll come back to Acts 21. But let's start at the end and work back forward. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Notice those words. There's his title. He was Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He said, we were traveling with Paul, and on one of our journeys, missionary journeys, heading back towards Jerusalem, we came through Caesarea, and we stopped and visited with Philip the Evangelist, and we stayed there with him for a few days. Philip the evangelist. It's the only one mentioned in Scripture by name who's called an evangelist. How did he earn that title? How did he earn that reputation? Well, I'll tell you how he earned it, and you'll see it in the next few minutes. He earned it one scene at a time. One scene at a time. One adventure at a time. I mentioned last Sunday morning, purpose is a mural. It's not a portrait. 
Purpose lived out in a life is not just one scene of a life. It's one scene that leads to the next scene and the next scene. And as you look through the mirror, the mural, you begin to see the purpose of one's life develop in that mural. Purpose is a process. My purpose, your purpose, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. It will start at a moment, but it will expand throughout all of your lifetime because God wants to develop more and more purpose in our lives. So today, what can we learn from Philip the evangelist? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 6. We'll start reading there in just a moment. Acts chapter 6. Let me set it up for you and tell you what's going on. In the early church, the book of Acts, the church just exploded with growth. Literally, there were days where thousands of people were added to the church, and it was growing so quickly that they were having trouble managing it. And there were 12 apostles who were leading the church. And those 12 apostles had their hands full with thousands and thousands of people trying to figure out how do we disciple people? How do we take these new people as we win their their souls and as we bring them into the kingdom? How do we disciple them? How do we get them involved in the ministry? How do we raise them up? They were overwhelmed with the great load. And we see what happens in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse number 1. Read with me for a few verses. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, notice it wasn't just addition, it was multiplication. As the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now, the Hebrews, of course, were the Jews. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So the Greek-speaking Jews began to complain to the other Jews. And let's read on about it. It says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So stop and think about it for a moment. These Greek-speaking Jews began to complain, saying to the other Jews, you're not giving our widows a fair share of food. And some days they don't get their food at all. You take care of yours first, and you're missing them because they're Greek-speaking. So verse number 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Now, there he is, Philip. First, Stephen. Second of all, Philip. And Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Notice verse 7. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You never see Philip's name in scripture until Acts chapter 6. You really don't know anything about his earlier life and his earlier years. We don't know how old he was when he came on the scene. But we know that a problem arose in the church when when the apostles... Those who were leading the church spiritually were being tied up and cumbered with other things that really was keeping them from doing God's work. 
So they called together the people and said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to choose seven men, and these men are going to take over our community care program. Okay? We're feeding widows, we're clothing people, but in the distribution, there's just too much for us to keep up with. We can't do it well and do the other things, so we need seven men that can lead this area of ministry. So they chose seven men. The first is Stephen. Stephen's fairly familiar to you probably because he's a, a, a prime character here in the book of Acts, and we'll talk about him in a moment. But the second person they chose was a man whose name was Philip. They took on the responsibility of feeding the widows, doing community care, distributing the food, and took that burden off of the church leadership. And Scripture says it thrived. Not only that, the church grew. Now, as we look at this today, what can we learn from this first scene in, in the life of Philip? What do we see here that we might grab a hold of and apply to our own lives today? Well, number one, first of all, Philip lived his life purposefully. He lived purposefully. He lived with a mission. He lived with a sense of purpose. He knew there was something that he needed to pour his life into, so he began to pour his life into this, and he began to walk with God and build this relationship with God. And so you say, well, what do you mean he began to live purposefully? Well, let me, let me just show you a little bit of this. First of all, he built a relationship with God. And I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on this first scene today and less time on the others. But I want you to follow along with me. Number one, he built a relationship with God. He worked at a relationship with God. How many of you know it takes time to build a relationship with God? It takes a little time. It takes a little bit of work. He worked on that relationship. You said, well, how do you know that? Because it tells us in Scripture he was chosen because, number one, he had a good reputation. He had a good reputation. As you looked at Philip's resume over time, you realized, wow, this is a good man. His track record's really good. Everybody loves this guy. He's a great guy. How many are sitting in the house today saying, yeah, well, my track record's not quite so great, so I'm not sure I would qualify for that position? We're here, aren't we? I've got some things behind me that I'm not so proud of. But here's what we need to understand. Philip began to develop a relationship with God, and his life was changed. He didn't grow up perfect. He learned that if I'm going to live a purposeful life, I've got to learn how to start walking with God and let God influence my life. Because what we know is if you walk with God, you will begin to change. If you spend time with God, he will rub off on you. You know, I say this a lot, but prayer Bible reading, we make them a discipline. And the minute you use that word discipline, and some people are like, I don't like discipline, because that's just how some people are wired. But what we're talking about is reading God's word that's alive and powerful, so it begins to give us understanding, so it begins to show us, it gives us knowledge of what God wants to do for us and in us and through us. And then as we begin to understand that, we begin to pour our life into that. And we begin to see God work inside of us. And God begins to change us from the inside out. And over a period of time, our reputation begins to change because God is changing us. There's probably somebody in the house today saying, well, you know, purpose, that's great. But I'm, I'll probably never have a purpose because you don't know my history. You don't know my background. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know my reputation. You know what? God's not concerned about your past. He's looking into your future. 
And God says, it's never too late to start walking with me and have your life changed one day at a time. And he established his reputation because the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit was working in him. And it began to shape him and mold him. And before long, he stood above above everyone else, head and shoulders. And when they needed someone to oversee this area of ministry, he's one of the first seven guys they came to. Actually, he's the second guy they came to and said, hey, Philip, we want you to lead this because, number one, you have a good reputation and we can trust you. Legalism will not change you. Legalism won't make you a better person. It might make you afraid to break the rules, but it won't change you. Only the word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit can change us because he changes us from the inside out. Legalism only works on the outside. The spirit of God and the word of God works from the inside out. So we need to start spending time with God. Build a relationship with God. Next thing it says about him, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. I love that. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't one who figured out, well, I can do this all by myself because he understood I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. I'm going to need God's help. So in building this relationship with God, he surrendered his life to the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do for me and in me and through me, I'm in. The problem is a lot of us want God to do something for us, but we're not so sure we want him to do things in us and through us. But he developed this relationship with God and he surrendered his life to God. And the Holy Spirit began to work for him and in him, through him. And they looked at him and he said, now there's a guy right there who's full of the Holy Spirit. You can see the Holy Spirit constantly at work in his life. Next thing it says is he was full of wisdom. Proverbs tells us that wisdom begins with the knowledge of God. Wisdom begins when we begin to fear God and put him in his rightful place. When we learn his word, that's where wisdom really begins to come from. And because he was into God's word, he was building this relationship with God. God was shaping his life. And he built a relationship with God because he knew, I have to live my life purposefully. So my question today is, to me, am I living purposefully? Am I spending time with God? Am I learning his word? Am I surrendering myself to the Holy Spirit so he can change me and make me what God needs me to be? We need to live purposeful lives. And and the second part of this, and this is so important, and I hope everyone today catches this. Philip learned the simplicity of ministry. Philip learned the simplicity of ministry. We make ministry so difficult. For a lot of us, the idea of ministry is just unobtainable. I'll I'll never get there. I'll I'll never be a minister. Well, stay with me for a minute here. Philip, we don't know what he was doing in the early church, but when they had a big job and they needed seven guys to do it, he's one of the seven they picked out. They chose him. Not just because of his reputation, not just because he walked with God, but because Philip understood the way you minister to people is by serving people. See, if you study out the New Testament, the word minister and serve, they come from the same root word. You see the word minister, you see the word serve, you see the word ministry. It all comes from the same root word. In other words, to minister is to serve, to serve is to minister. If you think you can minister without serving, you've missed the point. If you can think you can serve and not minister, you're missing the point. 
Serving is ministry. Ministry is serving. Somewhere along the line, Philip understood, I may not be one of the apostles. I may not be one of those 12 guys. But here's something very important that needs to happen in the church. They've asked me to do it, and I'm going to do it because I am going to live purposefully, and I'm going to be in the ministry. You know, I use this example a lot, but i got to use it today. When you drove in the parking lot today, you may have seen some guys out there helping you get parked and helping you get into the building and driving golf carts around and moving people in here. You know what those guys are doing? They're doing the ministry. Well, they're just out there serving. No, they're, they're, doing the, they're doing the ministry. You walk to the front door and you walk in the door and there are greeters there. You know what they're doing? They're doing the ministry. They're serving people. You go to the coffee shop. What are they doing? They're ministering. You come to the ushers to help you find a seat. They're doing the work of the ministry. What we don't understand is when you serve, you are in the ministry. Philip had a calling on his life. I believe at a young age as he began to walk with God, he sensed the power of the Holy Spirit and he knew there's more that God wants to do through me someday. So how do I get there? I take the first opportunity and I get involved and I start serving because when I start serving, I am already in the ministry. Well, it's quiet in here today. You want to get in the ministry? You want to live a purposeful life? Start serving. Start serving. He was willing to serve. Philip, would you be willing to wait on tables and feed widows? I'm here. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. It was an opportunity. Next, he worked with others. He worked with others. You know, one of the problems we've had in the church for several years, we've got so many Lone Rangers. Well, I want to be leading something, and I want to be over something, and I want to be the boss of something, and I want to do my own thing, and I want to get recognition. That's not the heart of a servant. Jesus didn't teach that. Philip understood, I'm going to be working with seven guys here, and then we're going to have hundreds, maybe thousands of widows to feed every day. You know, I don't know how they did it. If they took the seven guys and gave each one a day and said, you oversee this day, I don't know how they divided it up. But they divided it up, and it began to work. Because Philip was willing. Now, I've, I've got a, a sense about this. I believe if somebody's going to do something for very long, it needs to fit their skill set. It needs to fit their giftings, if you will. You know, you, you, there's some jobs, if you're not wired for it, you don't want to do it. If you can't sing, we don't want you singing in the worship team, okay? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> don't want to offend you, but I just assume you didn't. If you can't play an instrument, we don't want you up here trying to learn here. They're not the place. You know, we're honoring God with our best. You know what? There's, there is a large group of amazing people ministering to children and teenagers here in this building right now. If you hate children, don't get involved in children's ministry. If you get this thing in your heart that says, I'd like to punch out one of these smart aleck teenagers, we don't want you working with the teenagers, okay? We've got another place for you. If you say, well, you know, I, I just hate people in general, then you need to get saved and start all over. Because <laughs> if we're going to love God, we've got to put him first. And then second of all, we've got to love people the way we love ourselves. So the point is today, if we're not willing to serve, if we're not willing to get into ministry, we will never figure out where God wants to take us to in the future. We've got to get started somewhere. He got started 
Wow. Did you guys hear it? Oh, man. Wow. They, the, the apostles called me. Called me up on my cell phone and said, we got a job for you. And I said, seriously? Yeah, yeah. Get a job for you. We need you to feed the widows. Isn't that cool? I get to feed widows. I wish everybody was excited about serving as Philip was. Because he understood he's getting his feet wet, wet and he's preparing for the future. Not only that, while he's ministering and while he's serving, he's learning and preparing for the future. And I think the thing that is probably most amazing about this, we don't have any record of Philip ever devaluing his position. Now, I talked about it last week where Paul said, well, if one part of the, like, like if an ear says, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm not a part of the body, the, the ear needs to understand you don't need to be an eye, you need to hear, not see. You have a different function. Just because you don't get to do what somebody else is called to do doesn't mean you don't have a place. Some people say, well, I don't want to be out there helping in community care. Hungry people. Who cares about hungry people? Jesus does. I mean, just, an idea, just a thought. Seriously? Yeah, Jesus cares about them. He does. Well, I, I don't want to usher and help people find their seats and take an offering. Why not? You might usher somebody in and say hi to them and get a conversation started, and you might help win them to the Lord. What's so bad about that? You see, finding a place in the body of Christ is so important. But we have to be willing to get involved and never devalue anybody who's in a different position and never look at a position and say, you know what, that's not me. and that, That's below me. Nothing is beneath me. Jesus taught that. He said, you want to be great in the kingdom? Learn to be the servant. That's how you become great, by serving, by ministering. We also see that Philip was faithful. He was there. When it was his day, he was there 30 minutes early and he was raring to go. So where's the food and where's the widows? I'm ready to go to work today. We need to have that kind of attitude towards our service with God. He was faithful. When he got the email every week that says, Philip, you're on on Thursday this week. He checked his email and said, I'll be there. And he was there. He was faithful. Because faithfulness leads to promotion in the kingdom of God. It's interesting. Scripture says that when they made this shift, when the apostles handed off this area of ministry to these seven guys, it freed the apostles up, it covered that area of ministry, it settled the questions and the problems, and the church began to grow once again. You know why church grows? It's not great preaching. If it was great preaching, the world would have been saved 100 years ago and we'd all been in heaven by now. It's not great music. We've had great music in the church all my life and beyond. The reason the church grows is because people serve. People get into ministry, helping other people. What we find is as he served, he grew. He grew. His life began to expand. You know, one of the things I've learned in ministry, and I think Philip probably could tell you if he was here. Yeah, I learned that too. One of the things I learned is that when I think I'm giving something away to people to help them, when it's over with, I've received something back for helping them. God grows us while we're ministering to other people. doesn't matter where you're ministering. God grows us while we're in ministry. So the question is, what am I doing about my purpose? Am I living a purposeful life? Number two, go to Acts chapter 8. 
The rest of this message is going to go pretty fast. Some of you are saying, man, it took a long time with number one. That's all right. The next three go real fast. So go with me. Acts chapter 8. Let me tell you what happens here. The, the church keeps growing. We see it in Acts chapter 6. The church is growing, begins to multiply. The widows are all happy now. They're getting their food. Everything's great until all of a sudden there's a guy who rises up. His name is Saul of Tarsus. This guy is a Jew. He hates the church he is of the Jewish religion. He is a Pharisee. He is so steeped in it. He knows it cover to cover. And he hates the church. So he begins to persecute the church. We know about this guy Saul. He was there when they stoned Stephen, the very first deacon, the very first guy who was waiting the tables. When he was stoned to death, Saul was there holding their coats. He was involved in it. Scripture says he was going to the leaders, to the government officials, and he was getting the permission to put people in jail because they had faith in Jesus Christ. Great persecution hit the church. And when that happened, the church people began to scatter. It's interesting, Jesus said in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where the church started. Then he said, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. When the church began to scatter, the first place it went was Judea, just like Jesus said. But it didn't seem like anybody wanted to go to Samaria because Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They just didn't get along, kind of like you with, with kids in the children's ministry. You know, they just, just didn't do well with each other. Jews and Samaritans didn't want to deal with each other. They hated each other. Jesus went to the Samaritans one time in Scripture that we know of. But the Jews just didn't want to go there. They didn't like each other. They worshiped differently. They dressed differently. They believed differently. They had nothing to do with each other. The church begins to spread out. Where does Philip go? Look at verse number 5 of Acts 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, now, pause here just a moment. We saw it in Stephen. Before he was stoned, he began to work miracles. He was a man of faith. Now we see Philip. There's no record of him back in Jerusalem doing anything like this. But all of a sudden, when the pressure's on, he says, this is my opportunity. And where does he go? He goes to Samaria. He begins to preach the gospel. He begins to lay hands on people. And miracles start happening. A brand new thing. His ministry expands. Because he's living a purposeful life. Verse 7 says this. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. How many of you know when people start getting healed and miracles start happening, people get excited about that. And a lot of joy winds up running through town. That's what happened with Philip. And all of a sudden, the whole city knows about it. Everybody's coming out to hear him. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Healed. Amazing things are happening. People who are possessed by demonic powers are being liberated. I mean, it's amazing what's happening through the ministry of Philip. And it's almost like Philip could say, see, if you will do the first things first, God will lead you on to greater things. But if we're not faithful in those few things, we're never made ruler or given authority over other things. But here Philip is. He's got this red heart revival going. I mean, people are getting saved. There's great joy in the whole city. But here's what we need to learn in, in this next picture of Philip. He walked into his purpose by faith. 
Did you know what God calls you to do will be a little bit bigger than what you are? It might be a whole lot bigger. God will never call you ultimately just to do things you can do in the natural. Well, I thought you said God will use my gifts. He will. But over time, he will begin to put you in situations where he grows you and expands you because your relationship with him is growing and he wants you to share it with other people. So Philip, I mean, there's no record of this ever happening before. Maybe he was doing it in Bible studies back home. We don't know. But he goes here to Samaria and the whole city receives him. It's an amazing thing. Miracles are happening everywhere because he took steps of faith and he went places where other people weren't willing to go. One of the greatest things you can do with your life is invest it in things that other people don't want to do. It's a sign of maturity for one thing. It's also a sign of your spiritual growth. When I'm willing to take on assignments, even the apostles, I mean the apostles, those 12 guys, they're still in Jerusalem. They don't want to deal with the Samaritans. They didn't want to go there when Jesus went. They still don't want to deal with them. But this guy, Philip, goes out and he has an open door. And he begins to cause great revival to break out among the Samaritans. He was flexible. He went to people and loved them, people who hated him. Seriously? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I know that's, that's one of the shortcomings we have in the church today. Seriously? God will send me places where nobody wants to go? He might. It might be your brother-in-law that nobody else wants to talk to. God will send you places. Philip took on an assignment that others had probably already refused. He was unafraid of new challenges and new surroundings because he saw challenges as opportunities. If you see something that's bigger than you and it begins to tug at your heart, that's God saying, let's go do this together. We can do it. That's how God calls us. Let's go do this together. Let's you and me do this. Let's take this on. God, this is bigger than me. Yeah, but it's not bigger than the two of us put together. How many of you know if God's on your side, nothing's too big? Nothing is too big. And by faith... We could say that Philip grew into a different calling, but really what happened was, by faith, he kept walking forward into the calling that God originally had on his life, but he couldn't get there without the early stages. I remember when I was, I've told a little bit of the story, when I was 19, I surrendered my life to God and said, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm in, let's do this. At that time, you know, I sang and I wanted to start preaching and I was looking for opportunities, and I, I grew up in a fairly large church, and there just weren't opportunities for me, and I was a little bit frustrated. I got to sing a lot, but to preach, there wasn't any chance. One Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, I got a phone call. How many, how many don't like to be bothered Sunday morning at 6 o'clock? I mean, church, we had one service that started at 11. It was way too early for me. You know, Saturday night was behind me. 6 o'clock Sunday morning, this guy calls me and says, Hey, Brother Gary, what are you doing? I'm sleeping. Hey, you know what? I got something I need you to do. Can you do something this morning? Uh, yeah, what's that? We need somebody to go speak at one of the rest homes. Uh, well, it's kind of late to notify me. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's only three hours till it starts. Yeah, that's okay, but you know what? You can do it. You can take your music and you can sing to them. They'll love it. Just go sing, you know, and then tell them about Jesus and love on them for a while. 
I said, man, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before. Oh, you'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Just go do it. And I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding. You know what? I went that day. I went. I didn't want to go. Rest home. This, man, I'm supposed to be up there on the stage singing and preaching to thousands. Rest home. Are you kidding me? But I realized if I was not faithful in little things, I wasn't going anywhere beyond that. There were five or six times when I got called at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning to go fill in at the rest home ministry. You know what I learned? I learned that old people who were shut in love Jesus and need Jesus too, and they're looking for somebody to love them. And I learned. I didn't want to do it every Sunday, I promise you. But I learned it was an opportunity. Yet it challenged me. It stretched me. But God said, you know what? I'm not sending you there by yourself. I'm going with you. And we can make a difference. We can. By faith, he grew into his calling. Not only that, by faith. And here's the last thing I want to say about this section. By faith, Philip didn't live in his past successes. Philip looked ahead to the future. Too many of us, when somebody says, can you help with this? Can you serve here? Can you? First thing we do is look over our shoulder. And, well, based on my experience, I don't think so. Forget about your experience and look forward. Look ahead to the greater things that God has for you. Then the next scene happens immediately. There in Acts chapter 8, let me fill you in before we start reading. This red hot revival is going. If things are going great. So the apostles come down from Jerusalem and they come to kind of organize the church and get things kind of set in order and get things established. They start praying for the people and they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amazing things are happening. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and says, I have another assignment for you. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, at verse number 26. Follow with me. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, pause here a moment. Philip you got a red-hot revival going. Things are going great. You need to leave it right now and head to the desert. Seriously? I'm Philip the evangelist. Are you kidding me? I mean, this angel shows up. Philip, God sent me here with the message. Go to the desert. I don't want to go to the desert. I like it right here. Revival's going great. I don't want to leave this place. Miracles, signs, wonders. Why do I want to leave here? Because God has a purpose for you in the desert. So he walks away from a revival. I've never seen any evangelist walk away from a red-hot revival in my entire life. He walks away from the revival and he heads to the barren, hot, dry desert. Verse 27, so he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. You see the scene? Here comes this Ethiopian eunuch. He's a big shot in the Ethiopian government. He's kind of like treasurer. He comes rolling along. He wasn't just in a chariot. There was a whole bunch of chariots. There was a whole entourage. I mean, he was rolling with all of his besties, man. They were rolling down the road. And he's watching this thing happen. As they roll by, he hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading out of Isaiah. Holy Spirit says to him, Philip, run over next to his chariot and listen to him. Now, let's go on. Verse number 30. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Get in the chariot with me. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. It's out of Isaiah. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began this scripture, preaching Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. They came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Seriously? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. Now, I want to I show you this as I, as I get ready to wrap up here today. Philip, at the leading of the Lord, first an angel and then the voice of the Holy Spirit, Philip walked away from an amazing revival to go to the desert for one guy. That's always amazed me, for one guy, because he knew it was a divine appointment. He went. He runs up, listens to the guy, and he asks him, you know what you're, what you're reading there? And he says, how, how would I know? Somebody needs to explain it to me. Stops the chariot and says, here, hop up here in my chariot. How many of you know when you get in, get in the car with government officials and the mafia, if you get in the chariot... You just might get shot in the head. How many know about that, you know? I mean, I mean, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's from another country. He's got his whole entourage there. And here's this guy, Philip, jumping up in his chariot with him, taking a ride. But God sent him there. Well, the story is, he explains salvation to him. He explains Jesus, how he fulfilled Isaiah 53. Ethiopian eunuch says, stop the chariot. Stop the chariot. Here's water. Why don't you baptize me right now? And Philip says, cool, let's baptize you. Takes him down, explains it to him, baptizes him, raises him up out of the water. And while the eunuch is wiping the water out of his eyes, the Holy Spirit catches Philip away and he's gone. The eunuch says, seriously? Dude, you're kidding me. He knew it was a divine appointment. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Bible scholars tell us that the longest, continuous, lasting church anywhere in the world, the longest, continuous, running church anywhere in the world is in Ethiopia, and it goes clear back to the days of this Ethiopian eunuch. You sometimes we turn our noses up at divine appointments and say, well, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave this red-hot revival. There's thousands of people who go out there and deal with one guy. You never know where the one guy is going and what kind of revival he's going to start. You never know. But here's what you see in Philip. He discovered that purpose is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Purpose is fueled by the Holy Spirit. And there's two parts to this. This is why I talked earlier about spending time with God and building a relationship. He learned to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
The only way you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit is spending time with God. After a while, you recognize his voice. Then the second thing is he obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit. Even to leave a revival and go for one Ethiopian eunuch, he took it on at the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I want to go back to verse number 40 before we get to our last scripture. Look at verse 40 here. Read it one more time. But Philip was found at Azotus. When the Ethiopian eunuch got, his, got the water out of his eyes, looked around, Philip's gone. And it says the spirit caught him away and dropped him off in Azotus. It's like 20 miles away. Wow. We get stuck there, but notice what happens next. In passing through, he preached in all. Everybody say all. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. You know what he did? What I did in Samaria... This is my mission. I'm an evangelist. I'm going to go from village to village, town to town, every one of them preaching Jesus until I finish my race and I find out where God wants me to settle. And he invested his life in that. He just continued his journey all the way to Caesarea. Now, one more scripture. Look at Acts chapter 21. Two verses real fast. I'm almost finished. Acts 21. It's what we started with today. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. One of the seven what? One of the seven table waiters. Now, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. In Acts chapter 6, he was Philip the deacon, the table waiter, the food distributor. In Acts 21, he is Philip the Evangelist. It says, who's one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Then verse 9, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. The last part of my message. Philip understood that purpose never ends. Purpose never ends. Acts 21, where we are right here reading, from Acts 8, where we last saw Philip, we never heard of Philip except when he went village to village. He pops up in Acts 21, 26 years later. And for 26 years, he's been going village to village to village until he got to Caesarea. And God said, okay, here's your next mission. He understood purpose never ends. I had a pastor friend a few days ago. I was, I was having lunch with him. And we were just talking about the church and the future. And he's about my age. And he says, well, well how, many, how many years do you plan on preaching until you retire? And I said, I don't know. I, I, I probably will never retire. I'll change positions, but I'm never going to retire because th th there's just too much purpose. There's too much in me to just sit down someday and say, well, I'm done. There, there's more out there. It'll be different, but there's more because there's another generation coming behind us. Philip's reputation was his calling. He fulfilled God's calling on his life and when his life is over, he said, this is Philip the evangelist. I hope someday when my life is over, people will say, that was Gary the pastor. Gary who loved people. Gary who preached the word of God. Gary who taught the word. You know, you can get a title. Title doesn't mean anything. What's your function? What are you doing with your life? I want to invest my life in something that's going to make a difference for eternity. All of us can if we understand the simplicity of serving in ministry.
if we learn these lessons from Philip, that you've got to learn to walk by faith. You've got to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. But last of all, Philip never stopped looking ahead. He had four godly daughters who were being used by the Holy Spirit in prophecy. He was passing ministry on to the next generation. I told you purpose is a mural. Whatever scene you're in right now, let God finish that scene and then let's move to the next scene and then the next scene and the next scene and let God keep painting until your life comes to an end because God has called us to life of a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for you. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, you. I want to pray this morning. Bow your heads if you would. I want to pray for you, but, but I, first of all, I want to be inclusive in my prayer. Maybe you're here today Maybe you've listened to this message and you thought, man, that's, that's a really cool story. And it's really cool that you're telling people that God has a purpose for their lives. But maybe you're real honest and you say, you know, I, I've never really committed my life to God. I don't know that I have a purpose like that. I don't know what my life is about. And while you've listened to this, maybe something's tugging on your heart and you're realizing there's got to be more to life than just living for the party and living for this and living for that. There's got to be something eternal that I can pour my life into that will make a difference. There is. But you only find it by starting a relationship with God the Father. The God who loves you so much, He put His own Son on a cross to bring you into relationship with Him. The God who looked upon all your faults and sins and said, I'll wash it away in the blood of my own Son. So, the guilty can become blameless and become my children. So that the guilty can have life eternal. So that those who've sinned and fallen short of the mark can know me and be in relationship with me in this life and forever. Maybe you've listened to this today and you're realizing, you know what, I need to start a relationship with God. How do I do that? You know, maybe, maybe you once tried and maybe you didn't follow through or maybe you prayed a prayer or maybe you've never prayed this prayer before, but... It all begins with an invitation. We have to invite God to come into our lives. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, we invite him in with words. We say, God, I need you to come into my life. It's pretty, pretty simple. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me right out loud. You don't have to scream it. But I want to ask everybody in the house to put your faith in Jesus. Pray this with me right now. Let's invite God into our lives. Pray this way. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Give me a purpose to live for. I believe in your son. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he was raised from the dead. And I accept him. It's full payment for my sin. Jesus is my savior. But I ask you to let Jesus become the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. Mold me and shape me. Make me what you created me to be. And I will follow you all the way to the end. Thank you for loving me. You are now my father. I'm your child because of Jesus. While your heads are bowed, let me pray one more prayer. Father, for everybody in this house today, I know everybody here today has heard something that hit home, hits home somewhere. 
God, whatever that is, even if it's two or three things, don't let us lose those things. Don't let the birds come down and eat the seed before we get it away. Father, help us to write those things down, mark those things down somewhere, put them in, a, in, in our phone, put them somewhere where we don't lose it. And Father, help us to have faith to act upon your word. Not, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We might grow into everything you've called us to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, are you thankful for Jesus today? Are you? If you prayed that prayer today for the first time or if you've just been on the run and you've not been walking with God but you're ready to start following Jesus and build that relationship with God, we've got a little tool we want to give you called The Next Seven Days. This is a simple book, simple reading for the next week. It'll get you started in that relationship. I promise you it'll help you. We want to give it to you. Two ways you can get it. When we conclude in a couple minutes here, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. You can just walk down to one of these teams and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you. No strings attached. If you want to visit, great. If you want prayer for something else, they're here. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. Or if you're in a big rush, you can go to the Connection Center out in the lobby and just say, hey, can I get the booklet they were talking about inside? They'll give it to you there. We'd love to do that. Because you prayed that prayer today and opened your heart to Jesus, you're part of God's family. Can we just welcome people into God's family today together? God bless you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Before we dismiss today, before we're finished, I want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. The church is moving forward. I mean, we're halfway through January. We've got a lot of things in front of us the next few weeks and months between men's ministry and Chick Connection, between uh, the work we're going to be doing in Africa, some reconstruction on the building. So much is happening. I just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. God bless you. God rewards us for our giving, but we give out loving, loving hearts in worship to him. And as we give today, before we dismiss, let's watch church news together. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. We are thrilled that you and your family are in church with us today. A new year is a blank canvas and we are very excited to see what God has in store for each one of our lives in the year ahead. We also have big plans for 2017 here at The Bridge and we hope that you and your family will join us. Here's what's coming up.
Chick Night is going to be awesome. This will be our biggest women's event of the year and you do not want to miss it. And you'll definitely want to invite your girlfriends, especially those who need God. Not only will they have an amazing time, they will absolutely experience more of God. Doors open at 5.30 for shopping at the Vintage Corner and for some pampering provided by Massage Envy. So get your tickets online or at the table in the foyer today. Also, we would love to have you join us on the team making this event happen. We can use lots of women and men volunteering at the event and the week prior as we finish with all the preparations. But today is the day to sign up to volunteer. So stop by the Connection Center before you leave and together let's make an eternal difference in women's lives. June of this year, we have a missions trip opportunity to go to Kenya in East Africa. There are already many people who have joined our Kenya team, but we want to give everyone in our church one final opportunity to be a part of this life-changing mission. If you have already applied to be a part of the missions team, or you'd like to get more information, we are having a missions meeting next Sunday at 10.15 a.m. in the chapel. Come along, hear all the details about the trip, get an update on our plans, and maybe even apply to be a part of the team. We hope that you'll be a part of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in Kenya. If you are a guest with us today, we would love to meet you and help you find home at the bridge. Stop by the Connection Center before you go and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and tell you more about everything that's coming up in church life. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, you can also grab a free copy of the next seven days at the Connection Center. We want to help you begin your journey of faith. If you want to stay connected, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv, for details about everything that's coming up. We are excited about spending 2017 with you. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? Thanks so much for being here. Just before you go, ladies, you can buy your tickets online for Chick Night, or there's a table set up out in our lobby. You can go out there and, and get your tickets there. Invite a friend. It's going to be a great night. Going to have hundreds of women here. It's just going to be an outstanding night. And also, we still need a few more volunteers. So if you're interested in volunteering that night and being involved in it, men and women alike, Go to the Connection Center. You can sign up there because next Sunday morning, there's going to be a meeting for all Chick Night volunteers between the two services right after first service, okay? That'll be in the SLC. So we need to get you signed up today. It's going to be a great night. I'm going to be there. We're going to have a lot of fun. God bless you. Stand to your feet. You are dismissed. Have a great Sunday. Yes.